Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Uh, It's this deep desire for us to understand the Word of God in its right context that has sparked this particular series that I started last week called Straight Out of Context. And uh, this is a series that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks and uh, so that we get a greater understanding of what the Bible actually says. So we're going to look at some of the most misused verses in the Bible. Last week, we looked at the verse, Ask anything and you shall receive. That has been quoted over and over and over again, out of context. Things haven't happened as they were asked. And the result is people get upset with God, upset with the church, upset with pastors, upset with Christians and fall away. And the onus... Uh, is on us to understand what the Bible is actually saying, not what we want it to say. You know, for the young ones over here, um, in order for you to get along with your parents, uh, you need to understand what they're actually saying and not what you want them to say. And all will go well with you. Just a thought there. And so behind the heart of this series is that we would get a greater understanding of what the Bible is actually saying. Without a proper context, we can make the Bible say anything we want. Do you know that? There's a verse in Scripture that says, God is not a man that he should lie. But if you want to shorten that and stop it where you would like it, you could say, God is not a man. And all the women said, amen. You can make the Scripture say whatever you want if you want to stop and start where you want. But as we learned last week, that we need to get its proper context. And so today's passage and thought that we're going to be looking at is, do not judge. Do not judge is one of the most used verses by non-Christians and one of the most misused by Christians. Even non-Christians use this verse. Maybe you've experienced this. You're talking to them and say, you can't judge me. Have you ever had that happen? Even non-Christians know about this particular verse. And so we're going to study it this morning and have a bit of fun as we do it. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with, you, turn with me sorry, to Matthew chapter 7. And if you don't have a Bible, please look up on the screen and follow with me if you will. Verse 1, do not judge others, this is Jesus speaking, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. This particular verse is usually said with attitude. Do not judge. And more often than not, we pull out the old King James Version to share this verse. Yea, verily saith the Lord, do not judge. Because it just seems right to do that. Is it just me or am I talking to the right people? And it's usually followed by this statement, you have no right to tell me how to live. Do not judge. You have no right to tell me how to live. Am I talking to the right people? Why are you so quiet? This notion, do not judge, has led to a couple of things. One is the most prevailing thought today, and that is that we tolerate everything. 
Have you noticed that? You just have to tolerate everything. You know, anything goes right now. You know, anything goes. Possibly with the exception when Christians speak up. But it has led to a prevailing of tolerance. We have to tolerate everything and everyone. Because we're under of the notion you're not allowed to judge. This notion about judgment is also one of the prevailing thoughts that has led many non-Christians away from Christianity. If you ask most non-Christians why they're not interested in church, they'll say, they're too judgmental. Christians are too judgmental. You ever had that? Maybe you've thought that yourself. My question I want to look at today is this. Is Is Jesus saying you can't judge? And if he is, then it would be right to conclude that a teacher, you're going to love this young ones, that a teacher can't judge my essay. So come exam time, and I know many of you are in that period right now. If this is true, Jesus said, do not judge. You can go to your teachers and you cannot judge my exam. If Jesus is saying, do not judge, then no jury has the right to pass judgment on anyone. They have no right to hold someone accountable for their crimes. And you might love this one. Even this one gets me a little bit excited. If Jesus is saying you're not allowed to judge, then the policeman has no right to tell you that you were going a little bit too fast. I like that one. You say, no, you can't judge me. Because I don't know about you, if you've ever been picked up speeding, when I've done that occasionally, not often, but occasionally it's happened, and I've never felt like I'm speeding. It's all subjective. You say I'm speeding, I say I'm not. I mean, (laughs) can you imagine living in a world where there was no judgment? Be anarchy, it would be disorder, it would be crazy. And so from these simple little illustrations, we can conclude that you have to make some judgments. And so last week, when it comes to understanding context, we learnt, number one, that you need to know and understand the context. And the way we do that is through knowing who the author of the letter was, to whom it was written. We need to understand the major theme of each book. We need to understand what was God trying to convey to the people through the author, etc., etc. We need to know that. That's context. Secondly, we need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And the best way to understand the Bible is with the Bible itself. In other words, what do other verses say about this verse? If we're going to understand the context, we need to understand what the Scripture says about the Scripture itself. And the third thing we need to understand is that we need to apply what we have learned. In other words, the Bible is not a book to be studied so much as it's a letter to be lived. Everything in the Word of God... Uh, was intended for us to be lived out and fleshed out. When Jesus came to planet Earth, it was the Word becoming flesh. Jesus fleshed out the heartbeat of God that was written in the Word. And our role as believers are to understand the Word 
and then apply the understood word. Does that make sense this morning? And so then with this in mind, in order to get the context of Matthew chapter 7, we need to read what comes before that. Who knows what comes before Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 6. It's deep. I know it's deep. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is addressing the issue of hypocrisy. He says, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees who are hypocritical. He says, when you give financially, don't be like the Pharisees who give in a hypocritical way. When you fast, don't be like the Pharisees. Oh, they let everybody know that they're fasting. Don't be like them. It's hypocritical. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 6, which is written before Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. If you read on from Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, you'll come up with Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, it says, And why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think, saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Verse 5, hypocrite. (laughs) This is loving Jesus. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. In other words, we can conclude, having read what is before chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, and having read what is after chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, that the context is more about hypocrisy than judgment. Are you following me? So Jesus is not saying we shouldn't use our discernment. Jesus is not saying that we don't have the right to speak to other believers about areas of weakness in their life. In actual fact, later in chapter 7, Jesus goes on to say, beware of the false prophets, which in and of itself is a judgment. Because the moment you declare there are false prophets and you name those false prophets, you're making a judgment. In actual fact, can I say this? The moment you say, stop judging me, you're making a judgment that the person in the first place is judging you. You're judging the person for judging you. You're making a judgment. And so here's Jesus. He's addressing hypocrisy. He's saying, do not judge. And then he makes a judgment. And this is a massive contradiction when you don't understand the context. So Jesus is not saying do not judge so much as be careful how you do it. That's the context. Not you shouldn't judge, but be careful how, and can I add, when you do it. In other words, it's okay to help a brother to see what they can't see. It's okay. But don't pick them apart about their little sin when you've got a bigger sin in your life. In other words, we need to look in the mirror first. And one of the metaphors that the Bible uses about the Bible is it's like a mirror. And a mirror is not for you to show somebody else. A mirror is for your benefit. I don't need a mirror to see you. I do need a mirror to see me. And the Bible is that mirror that helps me to see me 
in all my glory or lack thereof. You know, you can get dim lighting and look in the mirror and think, I look all right. You put the ultraviolet light on and say, oh my gosh, I've got all these. (laughs) The Word of God can be like that. And so this morning, we want to look at four things the Bible says about judging. The first one is this. The Bible says, do not judge superficially. Remember, it's not about can you judge or can't you judge. It's about how and when you judge. Jesus was addressing more the fact of how we do it. And he's saying, let's not do it superficially. And if we're honest, we all do it. And some do it often. Today's message is not for you to ram down somebody's throat. I want us to use, myself included, I want us to use today's message as a mirror to see when we do it and how often we're doing it so that we can curb that which we are doing. In John chapter 7, verse 24, it's a bit of a theme of mine. I, I often refer to this passage of Scripture. It's a bit of a signature thought that I have. It says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So Jesus himself is clearly saying there is a time to judge. And he's saying the time to judge is make sure, make sure you do it accurately. Make sure you do it clearly but make sure you don't do it just based upon what you see. See, I've been judged on the same issue in different ways and both were wrong. I've been in the plaza, like many of you have, and I've been minding my own business, shopping or doing whatever else that I'm up there for. And I've had people wave to me and me not acknowledge them. And they've interpreted that moment based on what they saw, my lack of acknowledgement, that they've seen that, that I'm an ungodly man that is arrogant and rude and doesn't practice what he preaches midweek. And they've left the church over that. You think I'm joking. That I am telling you, and it hasn't happened once. It hasn't happened just twice. It's happened multiple times. I've also had the same situation where I'm in the plaza walking, minding my own business, and someone's waved, and I haven't acknowledged them. And they've concluded... He's such a godly man. He was so focused. He was so in the zone, so thoughtful and mindful of the church that he didn't even see me. I'm thinking, wow, who is that guy? That wasn't me. Two different judgments. But can I say, one is more damning than the other, but both were wrong. I don't know if I'm that godly and I don't think I'm that ungodly. My problem is I just can't see. (laughs) If I don't have my contacts in like I have now, or my glasses on, I'm not going to see any of you. So you can wave and holler all you like. I'm just... I'm probably not ignoring you, and I'm probably not praying for you. I probably didn't see you. But, but we can get all bent out of shape because I saw with my own eyes. And we can make a wrong judgment. Jesus said, don't, don't just judge by what you see. What you see can be very misleading. In other words, church, come on. Let's not judge from a distance. We've got to be very careful of the judgments we make. 
particularly in church. You know, when, when there's a rich person who has a nice car or maybe a few nice cars and a big old nice home, we've got to be careful of the judgment that we make. And say, well, spending all this money. Because that person could be giving far more than you ever give in your lifetime. And just from a distance, you can think, oh, he's just selfish. It's all about him or her. We've got to be very careful that we don't just judge from a distance. I remember many years ago, Kath will remember this. It was in our previous home that we're in right now, early days. And uh, we had a new family come to the church and, and uh, we invited around to our home and uh, we let them see all who we are and what we have and we cooked a meal for them. And, and I could see that as the night went on, it got more and more awkward. And the night came and went and we didn't see them again for a period of time. We followed them. I say, we haven't seen you since you came in our house. And effectively, they never came back to our church because they passed a judgment on myself and Kath based upon the home we lived in. It was a nice home and it had a swimming pool and everything. And for them, that was just excessive use of finances. And so they passed judgment that we were abusing the church's finance. What they didn't understand or know is that I paid off my home before I ever went into ministry full-time. And so the very thing that they accused me of is something we've been really diligent about. As a young man, saved up a lot of money, bought my first home at the age of 19, paid it off within seven years. That meant nothing to them because they just didn't like what they saw. Was it a nice home? Yes. Did we have a pool? Yes, it's all true. But to conclude that we were ripping off the church's finance is a gross injustice. And that's what Jesus is dealing with in the Word of God. We need to extend the benefit of the doubt. We need to be for people and we need to be for God. Extend the benefit of the doubt, church. Number one, don't judge superficially. Number two, don't judge hypocritically. Romans chapter 2 Verses 1 to 4. You, therefore, have no excuse. This is not Jesus speaking. This is Paul speaking now. He says, You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when a mere human being pass judgment, sorry, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? This is what I've noticed about human nature. And when I say human nature, I mean everyone in this room, including myself. We're all in the same boat in this regard. Human nature generally tends to accuse others and excuse ourselves. Have you noticed that? I don't have, to know you to, I don't have to know you well to know that you've done that. It's human nature. We accuse others, but we're great at excusing ourselves. When someone else is in the wrong, we say, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? I can't believe they did that. But when we are guilty of the same thing or something very similar... We are so quick with our excuses. We come up with notions like, yeah, 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 but you don't know the whole story. 
And here's my thought. If, if they don't know the whole story about my life, which is probably true, then maybe we don't know the whole story about the other person's. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. We come up with notions like, I've been mistreated. They don't know my intentions. Oh, but it was just one time. That's a great one. Love that one. That's not really who I am. Most of us in this room have used lines like that. And if you haven't, it's probably because you're very, very young. But it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I heard it once said that the place where you issue your hardest judgment often reveals your deepest weakness. Say it again. The place where you issue your harshest judgment often reveals your deepest weakness. As a practical exercise, I encourage every one of you to do this from now on. When we find ourselves saying this or something like this, I can't believe they would do that. And whatever that particular thing is, I think it's a time to look in the mirror. We've had a number of people in this church over the years who have confronted me on the fact that we need to be more holy, that we need to be more pure, and they'll pick a few people apart in the church and the way they're dressed, and and we need more of the presence of God. And upon getting to know the person and finding out where they're really at, they are heavily addicted to pornography. Uh, This kind of thing has happened over and over and over again in our ministry life. That we use other people and their sins to cover up the very thing that we are doing. So I would say when we find ourselves saying, I can't believe they would do that particular thing, it may be, maybe a time that we just need to look in the mirror and say, why does that particular thing bother me? Because more often than not, that's the area of our greatest weakness. The area of the harshest judgment is often the area of our greatest weakness. Whether it's through a lack of self-control, unable to deal with our own sinfulness, self-hatred, self-denial, jealousy, whatever, we then, project, we then project onto others. We've seen this often, over and over and over again. And I've seen it only, not only in other people, but also in my own life. And one of the things that's really helped me, when I find I'm getting so upset about something, I start looking at why is that upsetting me? Because that's what the Bible encourages us to do. Number one, Don't judge superficially. Number two, don't judge hypocritically. Number three, do not judge non-Christians by Christian standards. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, again, Paul speaking, verse 12 says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside the church? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Let me explain this verse using this illustration. In our home, the rainbow household, we have house rules. In other words, there are certain things that you can and can't do. Um, When our kids were very young, we had the rainbow 10 commandments that we used to pin on the fridge. 
and they were age-based commandments to help our young ones grow based upon areas of weakness. And so one of our children in particular had a real bad habit of stomping their feet. Uh, what the heck? And so commandment number one for that child was, thou shalt not stomp their feet. And so whenever they were going like this, I'd walk them to the fridge. I'd say, what's number one say? Thou shalt not. They, don't know, they didn't know what thou shalt was. So, <laughs> that kind of bit me a bit. I was trying to be clever. I had to change that. But effectively, those different stages and different ages came and went, and they learned some lessons. Because in our home, we have some rules. But I'm not putting those rules onto you and your family. By us having house rules, I'm not telling you how to live. By us having house rules, I'm not telling you how to raise your kids. I'm just saying, this is us, and in our home, this is what we do. And so there are certain television programs that our kids are allowed to watch, and there are certain ones they're not allowed to watch. You may feel like uh, you know, the ch channels that we watch are inappropriate, and I wouldn't let my child, or you may say, man, I, that's nothing. It, that's up to you. But we have a standard. What they're allowed to watch, what they're not allowed to watch. The language they're allowed to use and the language they're not allowed to use. You can't help but be a teenager in 2016, Christian or not, uh, and hear some words. It was only the other day that Mitchie, who's my 16-year-old son, said to me, Dad, um, obviously because I've grown up in church and went to a Christian school and I'm part of a youth group, uh, I, I knew there were certain words existed, but it was when he started working. He didn't realise that people used it as an adjective. So I knew they existed, but I didn't know it was actually a joining word. I was just like, wow. And he can't go to work and say, you're not allowed to swear. Stop it. Yay. But he can't bring it back. Not in our house. Because we have house rules. And you know what? I think most of us in this place who have a family have done something similar. Certain things you're allowed to do, certain things you're not allowed to do. We are not here to tell you how to raise your kids. And that's why for me, and I'll go on record as saying this, there is little value in street preaching for a few reasons. One, the person that you're trying to talk to doesn't know you. And Christianity essentially is relationship-based. So if you don't know somebody, I don't know how effective that's going to be, generally speaking. There's always an exception to the rule. You, know, you might say to me straight after this service, I know somebody who came to the Lord, but yeah, great. But I can tell you thousands who didn't. And I have to weigh out that one person with the thousands that were put off. I stand by what I say. Because it's not relationship-based. People don't know you. Secondly, your values aren't their values. And it's not our job to put our values on them. And my third point, and clincher, is this. They're usually so aggressive. We were walking down the mall just the other Friday night and I was with some friends and having a great time and came across some guys who 
I just, I thought, I, we actually thought, I thought there was a punch-up, I thought there was a fight starting, because this guy was screaming. And I realized there's someone preaching at us. Unhelpful. So just as there is rules in our family, there are rules in the family of God. And when those rules are broken, the Bible calls that sin. And that sin needs to be addressed in order for order to be restored. And before you want to judge the church for doing that, just think about it in the context of your family. When little Johnny, or in the classroom, when little Johnny is out of hand, out of hand, you need to discipline them. And how you discipline them is up to you, and I'm not here to talk about that. But whether it's taking the toys off them, whether it's putting them in the naughty corner, or whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever form of discipline you choose, the purpose of that discipline is to bring uh, the correction is, is to bring restoration and not just punish people. Yeah? And so it is in the church. Now, can I just say this at this point in time? Every person, believer or not, people who carry our values or not, are welcome at Victory Church. And if you're here today as an unbeliever, a non-Christian, maybe you've got some questions, you are absolutely welcome. This building was built with you in mind. Many of us were in your place that you were in right now, once upon a time. Jesus himself was a friend of sinners. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to change people, not ours. We need to understand that and remember that. And so if you're here searching, looking, asking questions, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. The problem comes when you start pushing agendas from the outside. If you come here just to push your agenda from the outside, it may not go as well for you or for us in that case. But if I went to a mosque, I would honour the rules of that house. If I went to another church, I would honour the rules of that church. Wherever you go, you want to show respect to the place that you're going in. You don't start doing what you do in your own house everywhere else. Just a little thing. It would be well to offer to take off your shoes every time you go through a front door of a house. Then I say, now leave your shoes on. Far better that than to assume that you can wear your dirty shoes in someone's house because that just makes it awkward. No one wants to say, "Uh, sorry, can you take your shoes off? Just make it easy for them. Well, we don't take ours off in our home. Yeah, I've seen your home. <laughs> it actually reminds me of a situation I overheard, Kath. This is a couple of years ago now. BJ had a little friend over, and uh, the little friend took some license and started doing something that we didn't do in our house. And so Kath, bless her, with all the motherly instinct, sidled up alongside her and said, Hey, sweetie. Um, we don't do that here. And then proceeded to ask her to not do what she was doing. And to her credit and boldness, I'll give a, I'll give a 10 out of 10 for her boldness, <laughs> less for her wisdom. 
But she looked Cathair and Square in the eye and said, in our house, we're allowed to do that. And I noticed the tone of mum's voice change a little. <laughs> and she said, sweetie, look around. <laughs> this ain't your house. Number four, if we can have the band come up, that'd be great. Number four is do not judge without being willing to restore. Galatians chapter six, verse one says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. We have to understand that whatever we may be addressing in somebody else's life today could be the very thing that we are being addressed of tomorrow. Paul says, be careful that you may not be tempted and fall. So we need to always operate in grace, even issuing the toughest of disciplines. It always has to be grace based. Let's look at the language that Paul uses in Galatians. He says, brothers and sisters, this is family. This is not those outside the family of God. It's not our place to judge. This is brothers and sisters. He says, you who are caught in a sin, The word sin is a biblical word for that moment when the house rules are broken. If we didn't have rules, anything goes. And, and so when, when sin is present, it needs to be addressed amongst brothers and sisters. With the aim of restoring not with the aim of gossiping. Not with the aim of getting something off your chest. That's a big one. I told them. Phew. How'd that go for you? It's not with the aim of kicking them out because you didn't like them anyway. Got rid of that person. Yeah, you didn't like them. That's not discipline. That's just being rude. You just waited for them to sin, pounce on them as an excuse to get rid of them. We're not talking about that. It always has to be with the heart of restoration. One of the greatest stories of restoration, and there are many that this church has seen, is that of one of our key leaders at the time, this happened a number of years ago now, came to me and fessed up of a sin of a really serious nature. All sin is equal, I know, but there are some sins. And, and so he, he fessed up to a particular sin and, and his position that he was in had to be removed of him immediately. I had to stand up in front of the church and share with a broken heart 
about what had happened and the consequences. That person then got up on stage and repented to the church. We put some things in place, such as counselling and some boundaries in place that he adhered to. Not just for a week or two, but for a sufficient period of time where he earned back some trust. And we were able to give him a little bit of responsibility and just monitor what he did with that. And that has been the process over the last few years, whereby this person is on staff now, serving, doing an incredible job. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of a restorative story like that one. Off the back of a really horrible situation, to see it restored. For that to happen, it takes biblical leadership. It takes courage on behalf of the leaders. That, that, to do that is not easy. And I did get accused by some who aren't in the church today that I was too strong and I shouldn't do that, or I was actually I was too weak. Someone's, someone left because I should have kicked them out. Someone left because how embarrassing. I, I would hate you to do that to me, and they left. You have to hold your line. And to their credit, they've worked through some stuff. Are they perfect? No. But have they walked a journey that has enabled them to be where they are and doing what they're doing? Absolutely. Did we pass judgment? Yes. Was the intent to restore? Absolutely. And to their credit, they've responded in every way. It's an absolute pleasure working with them and they're trophies of God's grace. See, when it comes to judgment, we need two things. We need truth and grace. Grace without truth becomes a license to do whatever you want. God loves you. His grace covers, and we just do whatever you want to do. No organization, no family, no school can operate like that. Do whatever you want to do. We love you. I love my kids, but they're not going to do whatever they want to do. That's not love. That's stupidity. That's anarchy. It's crazy. But you know what? Truth without grace leads to legalism. You're not allowed to do this. You shouldn't do that. It's all true. But geez, people, legalism. One leads to license, do whatever you want to do. The other leads to legalism. And both are wrong. You need grace and truth. And I think it's written in that order because we need grace first. Because truth is always harder to take than grace. And can I just say this? Even in a grace-saturated environment, truth is still going to hurt you. Truth is still going to be hard to swallow. And we need to be a company of people that understand what the Word of God is saying so that when we're on the receiving end, we'll respond in a biblical way. And when we're on the dishing out end, we do it in a biblical way. We need to do it in a biblical way and we need to respond in a biblical way. Will you stand with me this morning, church? I just want to pray for us this morning.
I also know this about human nature. It's easy for us as human beings to think about who this applies to in our life. Oh, I wish so-and-so was here. (laughs) Gee, they needed to hear that. Or maybe they are here and you're nudging them. (laughs) Maybe you're married to them. Maybe you gave birth to them and you're looking over you. And maybe after he says, I didn't hear what Pastor Tony said. Well, what Pastor Tony's saying is, look in the mirror. Pastor Tony's not saying, pick on your kids. He's not saying, pick on your wife or your husband. He's not saying that. He's actually saying, look in the mirror. Because if we don't first look in the mirror, everything we do, we'll do it out of a superficial, hypocritical, non-biblical judging way. Jesus didn't say, don't judge. He said, be careful how you do it. And the Bible is very clear about the guidelines. Let's look in the mirror first. And can I say this? What Jesus is asking us to do, we cannot do. Our human nature is so strong that we will always revert to using that mirror to show somebody else their fault. And it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the desire and the strength to even look in the mirror. It doesn't start with just changing. It starts with the desire to even want to look. It's like, because if we're honest, when we look at ourselves and, I mean, Instagram, we can put on filters, we put on our best photos and, but before God, we strip bare and he doesn't want to expose us. He wants to talk to us, to help us that we might live the best, most blessed life imaginable. And the blessed, most best life is one that is free from the superficiality, hypocritical approach that has done so much damage to this incredible community. If you are visiting here today and you're not a believer, well, you're not sure what you are, I, I do, I, I want to apologise because the church has got this so wrong. So wrong. And I want to say sorry. We've done it wrong at times. Other churches have done it wrong at times. But I pray that the power of God is so present here. That you wouldn't allow those past experiences to rob you of the goodness of God and what he's trying to say to you today. And this I know, he loves you. He cares so deeply about you. He wants the very best for you. I'm going to ask you to close our eyes just for a moment. Father, help us this morning to put into practice the word that we've heard. May we not be like those that have gone before us and be labeled as hypocrites, but may we make the adjustment in our lives today to the best of our ability coupled with the presence of God at work in our lives, we may live a righteous life that doesn't flaunt itself before others but graciously helps people find you in every circumstance and season. Give us the courage to look in that mirror before we dare say a word to our partners, children, 
friends. Give us that courage. And as we find things about ourselves that we don't like, can I say this, church, know this, that as you start to see your impurities, know this, God saw them before you and he still loves you. It's one thing to love you when you don't know someone. You say, I love you. You don't even know them. God knows us through and through and yet still is madly and crazy in love with us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 